Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, middle of the week. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, he's back today. And Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Best way for you to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. At Ceasefire, they're always asking the big questions, like why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Right now, you can get any iPhone $100 off at your local Seaspire store and online at seaspire.com. So be sure to take advantage of that offer as uh, I think we're just around the corner from uh, the iPhone 12 coming out. That is not information that Seaspire is giving me. That is based on the announcement or the invitation to come and watch the big media event from Apple Park that uh, they're hosting, and uh, it's about that time, a couple of years out, time for a new iPhone to roll out. So you can save big on whichever iPhone you want right now. Any iPhone they've got in stock at Ceasefire, 100 bucks off. Be sure to take advantage. Uh, I'm going to go straight to the Ceasefire text line and read this to you. Would like some clarification on something regarding the Sanderson Farms Championship, which, by the way, is the first week in October. We're getting close. This morning on the Gallo Show, Steve Gent, who is the tournament director, said a player that is playing this year's field is one who has won every major tournament. There's only one current player who has won all four majors. That's Tiger Woods. Can you all confirm, will he be playing? My response was this. I believe that is referring to more than one player, and no, I cannot confirm that Tiger Woods will be spending the first week of the month of October in the state capital of Mississippi. Am I reading that correctly, Borky? Reading into what Steve Gent said correctly? That is how I took it when I heard it this morning, is that he, he was meaning that there will be a Masters champion, a U.S. Open champion, a PGA champion, and an open champion. That's what I took it uh, to be said. But it would be typical 2020, right? I mean, just par for the course, pun intended, this year, to have Tiger Woods at the Sanderson for the first time when nobody's allowed to go. Mm, Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't think that's going to be the case, ultimately. I don't think so either, but that's still really Is there any movement? I, I don't know if Paul asked Steve about this this morning. I haven't heard the entire interview. Is there any movement toward some spectators in attendance given the 25% capacity that we're using for other sporting events in the state of Mississippi? I did not see uh, whether or not that was addressed. If it was, I just missed it somehow yeah. uh, as I was listening in the car this morning. But, uh, I mean, they've still got some time, right, in the cases. We, we've gotten some really, really good news 
over the last few days on case numbers and hospitalizations and death numbers have all been excellent. Very good news. And maybe that causes some rethinking. I don't know. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe so. Hey, Dad, what's up? What's up, guys? Not a whole bunch. I, 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 I'm excited that, you know, Jack Nicholas is coming to play at the Sanderson. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. That would uh, that'd be great. Uh, C-Spire text line from a great source, Sergio. Oh, that would be awesome. He's going to be at the Sanderson. That would be something. Oh, yeah. man. Just, and again, I mean, Sergio showing up at the Sanderson and nobody can go see him. That's <sighs> well, you'd save yourself some time. Takes him a while to hit the ball. It does. It's it, better than it used to be. He's pretty he's up a little bit. person. And yeah. BJ Singh, I maintain, is the absolute worst live watch in the sport. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, BJ Singh is the absolute worst to see in person. Everything he does is in slow motion. I've heard some VJ Singh stories that I actually don't think I can share on the air that make him pretty hard to like in terms of professional golfers. Now, tip, kudos to him. He's won a bunch of tournaments and a boatload of money and is the ultimate grinder in terms of practice and just working on his craft. Uh, obviously, his prime is now in the rearview mirror, but he'll pop up in contention from time to time still. But, uh, yeah, uh, not, not the most flattering stories floating around about VJ and just kind of the way he comports himself with tournament officials and patrons and whatnot. So, but who knows? Maybe we end up with VJ in the uh, in the field this year. Maybe he's your Masters champion. It's going to play in Jackson. Could well, be. Masters champion does cover Sergio. It does. Yeah. It gets you Sergio. That gets you VJ. That gets you um, Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Come on now, Mike that, Weir. I well, think. Hey, Phil Mickelson. Played. Mike Weir, man. That, that's the guy. Don't forget. <laughs> that's hey, that's boy. Did Mike Weir win the Masters or am I crazy? He did. Didn't he, he did. He won the. He yeah. won the Masters. Yeah. That's why I picked him. I was like, hey, he won a Masters one. Sure, he can do something. I, I promise I did not intend to lead with golf news today. It's but, big for our state, though. Yes, but how about additional golf news while we're at it? For the second time in as many years, and goodness knows this has been a strange year, the Masters tournament will conclude earlier than normal. The schedule change was announced, whether intentionally or not, in CBS's annual NFL conference call with reporters yesterday. And it is to accommodate the network slate of football broadcasts, including the NFL on CBS and SEC on CBS. Sean McManus, CBS Sports chairman, was responding to a question about potential scheduling conflicts, and here's what he said. We obviously worked really closely with the NFL, the management of Augusta National, including Chairman Fred Ridley, and the folks at the SEC for Saturday. The third round is set to end around 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, in time for Alabama at LSU on November 14th. On Sunday, the final round is scheduled to end by 2.45 before the scheduled NFL broadcast. There's about an hour window there in the event of a playoff. So they built themselves some cushion in. I, I would ask the question, what if the playoff ran longer than an hour? Would they bump the playoff of the Masters to CBS Sports Network, or would they join the NFL game in progress? Ooh. That's a call I'm glad I don't have to make. 
Yeah, I think way. the answer is it better not last longer than an hour. <laughs> it feels like they would go to the NFL. Yeah. It's, I it's think more that, popular. Okay, okay, okay I, I agree, but let's play this out just for a second. Tiger Woods is battling Rory McIlroy in a playoff at the Masters. Tiger trying to win back-to-back and his 16th career major and there is no bigger ratings bonanza than Tiger Woods at Augusta for CBS. True. Is it possible that they would say we will join the NFL game in progress? That's a call you got to make in real time, right? Where you feel that that situation out? Because if it Head is Tiger, then you don't Sports Network <laughs> to watch the NFL, and they would break a, a ratings record if CBS Sports Network gets measured. Uh, without a doubt. They would break a ratings record, but they would lose three-quarters of the audience. Probably so. Yeah, I did uh, notice, I guess we haven't talked about it yet, with the uh, uh, Kentucky Derby this weekend, it, it proved kind of what I was thinking. As cool as this fall is going to be, mm-hmm. when we've got NBA playoffs going on, Major League Baseball is going to be at the playoffs, I mean, pretty soon, if you think about it. College football, NFL, and all four majors, not all four majors, but a couple of majors, um, that's really good for us, the fan, but and awful for us, the sports talk radio show. I, that too, uh, even though the summer was brutal, uh, we did well though. But as far as so compiling bad. content, it was it was tough. We're owed this. <laughs> yeah, we are owed this. But the network, this is not good for the networks. The Kentucky Derby drew eight million people, which sounds great. Brutal audience for them, way down because they're usually kind of a standalone deal, and the the change of date. In May, and the date being changed, and then four other sports going on at the same time dramatically impacted their viewership. So it's good for us with all this stuff going on, but the networks, I mean, having to figure this out when Masters Sunday used to be it, now they're having to deal with NFL games and college football games and navigating that's not good for them at all. With all due respect to the Ponies, the Augusta National is a bigger deal. The Masters is a bigger deal. Absolutely. question. Yeah. What, do we know we what the CBS uh, game would be? I, don't, I guess we, that's not locked in at this point, right? Are you talking about the NFL game? Yeah, the NFL-CBS game. We don't know. I know Saints 49ers is that weekend. I don't know if that would be a CBS game or not. Possibly. Certainly. But that's the case. Be. Goodness. I mean, you're talking about two teams that should be, you know, in the thick of the playoff hunt. I don't know. Yeah. Forky, we played the audio from uh, Larry Collins yesterday, the track announcer at uh, Churchill Downs. Is that the most impressive feat in broadcasting? It's exactly what I said. I said it is. I said to me, there is nothing more difficult and more impressive than that nonstop two-minute, ten-second call from, and we're off with the Kentucky Derby to fill in the blank is the winner of the Kentucky Derby. And he did not stumble one time. It's so cool. Guy nails it year after year after year. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. You know one thing I am going to miss, which I maybe we'll... No, I don't think we'll get it. We're not going to get it this year. Is once we get to, like, end of October, 1st of November... That stretch where we go, we've got Monday night football and then, like, Tuesday night matching 
and sometimes a Wednesday night game, and you got a Thursday night NFL yeah. game and a Thursday night college football game, and a couple, oh, yeah, you know, a handful of Friday night games, and Saturday, and then Sunday's the NFL. You go have like oh, yeah. a like a seventeen day window where there's live football sixteen days out of the seventeen. Yeah, that, that's not happening this year. Yeah, no, but not we do have play. one more sleep until NFL football, though. That is a true statement, Michael Borky. I'm pumped, man. Yeah, um, I almost, I almost want to join in progress. Like, I'm not sure I want to watch the first 15 minutes of the broadcast. Because you know what you're going to get right out of the gate. It's like, I just want to flip it go on. Make, go make a sandwich. And, yeah, exactly. If you, if you don't want to see that. You can pause it, fast forward it, go make a sandwich, go crack open a beer. You got options. I agree. That, that was kind Come of the point. The game off. kicks at 7.20 tomorrow night, and it's on NBC, so you're going to get Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, which I would think will handle everything in a pretty professional manner. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, apparently there was an internal memo at CBS in which they have instructed their NFL announcers to – not opine about, uh, well, I guess I'm being redundant here. The intention is for them not to offer up a bunch of opinions. Very good. Kind of like good. we talked about with Tom Hart yesterday. Hey, Dad. Exactly. And, yes. and I actually had somebody come up to me and say, man, I, I don't agree with Hey, Dad a lot, but I sure did agree <laughs> with what he said. If I turn on a ball game, I want to watch a ball game. I assume it's somebody who lives in Oxford. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm doing my job. Good. Well, I'm doing my job. Whatever. But, no, his point was, you know, he, he yeah. liked what, what you asked and kind of the statement you made when we were talking about that. And I thought Tom made a really good point. He, he's like, he, he was right on the money. People don't care what Tom Hart thinks. He was talking about himself in the third person. He said, now, my job is to document the game and the storylines that go along with the game. And so if a team has a certain look or a decal, or a shirt, or they did something in the locker room, or they did something on the field, or they did something in the week leading up to the game, we've got to talk about what happened. Because that's part of the storyline of the game. But in terms of waxing poetic about my beliefs, mm -hmm. don't really think that's the uh, the right way to go about this. And that's true about just about anything. I don't, you know, it doesn't have, not, not, I mean, what he talked about with local color, Hey, we had a great meal last night. Or man, do I love coming to this town because of this? That's fine. I don't care. You know that, that doesn't that adds to the uh, the ambiance of the game. But I don't care about your political opinion on anything, Mister Announcer. Nothing at all. Just yeah. call the game and and you know keep your anecdotes local. Sounds like you guys touched on it, but specifically in the Memphis game on Saturday night. Yeah. When yeah. you are ignoring multiple plays in a row, not even acknowledging, in a relatively close game, I mean, close enough to where, especially on the gambling side, uh, a lot of important plays were happening on the field, ignoring that completely to do that, awful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because the Memphis-Arkansas State game is one that was used as an example. And I don't even know who the announcing crew was. Don't, don't know, haven't looked it up. You know, whatever. Um, 
but it was just like this thing that went on and on and on and on and on as opposed to there, there's a game going. And not only is there a game going, that was a competitive game. Yes. It was the first Saturday night ESPN broadcast of the year. I think it was at least ten straight minutes. Not game minutes, but act ten broadcast minutes of that. The yes. person that said it to me said it must have been 20 plays. Yeah. It felt like it. So. And uh, Vegas is incredible, by the way. 13-point game. 13 and a half was the line. And a missed good, field it? goal is what made the difference. Or a missed extra point, I mean. Pat uh, chimes in on the ceasefire text line. He says, Richard, don't forget in the Tiger Rory scenario that you laid out earlier, it would also be Tiger's 83rd win to set the career record for victories. Yeah, you're right, Pat. Uh, you are right. Derek in Greenwood says, turn the game on 15 minutes late and listen to some good music while you're watching the game. Ceasefire text line. How do y'all support stupidity? How are you pumped about the NFL? Who, who responded to that? Hey, Dave, was that you? That's me. That wasn't me. Okay. Uh, Borky says, because I love football and don't really care about the political opinions of players. If they think and do dumb things, it doesn't surprise me because they're just athletes, so I just ignore it, basically. It's kind of how it's it fine. is. And still it's consume the game. The thing is, these athletes, I mean, it should come as no surprise that a young African-American male would have different political beliefs than a, an older uh, Caucasian male. No question about that. It's just mm-hmm. that you, are you just not, is it just that you just found out they're public? They're making them public now is the problem? They've always disagreed with you. They're just making it public now. So there's no difference. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah, and I think generally speaking, generally speaking, very generally speaking, People don't like opposing political views shoved down their throat, especially if they are folks that are not in the business of shoving their political views down other people's throats. And I, I'm painting with a great big old wide paintbrush there. I understand. Yeah, but that big old wide wide paintbrush is covering a lot of the canvas. Arrowhead Stadium tomorrow night. That's where they're going to play right now. Rain is in the forecast. Low 60s for Texans and Chiefs. Kansas City, a nine-point favorite. I said yesterday, and I stand by this, nine points is that's a pretty big line in the NFL. You don't see a ton of spreads in the NFL that are greater than a touchdown. Although if you go back and you look at some of Kansas City's games and the way they were playing a year ago, point spreads of greater than a touchdown became the norm as opposed to the exception for the Chiefs with just how dominant they were. I remember thinking that as we talked some with um, Lee Sterling and with Bruce Marshall last year throughout the course of the season, these are bigger point spreads than we have come to expect in the NFL. And we were seeing that because there were some really, really bad teams last year. Inept, even. And so seeing a 13-point line or a 17-point line or a 20-point line was not unheard of. Although, historically speaking, that's pretty unheard of when you're tracking point spreads in the NFL. 
and there's a couple of factors at play as well. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are probably a little bit different, but post-Super Bowl teams, especially after they won the Super Bowl, the country shut down. That The year after the Super Bowl doesn't always go particularly well. And on top of that, I heard uh, Warren Sharp say yesterday, uh, he's a very analytical football guy. A uh, really good follow on Twitter, if that's your thing. Uh, compared this offseason to 2011, if you remember, there was a lockout. And they didn't have a regular offseason or a regular fall camp either. And overs were way out of the norm. And he's comparing 2011 to now because there wasn't a regular offseason. There wasn't a, a regular camp, fewer preseason games, stuff like that. And so his advice was, if you believe in the overs being the play in 2011 because of that weird offseason, that apply the same principle this year, is that you're going to see a lot of overs for whatever reason in the same way you did in 2011 because the offseasons are relatively similar. I think there's something to that. And in some ways, we saw that over the weekend, right? I mean, we saw on Thursday night, UAB and Central Arkansas combined for 80 points in a game where the total was set at 50 going in. The Southern Miss-South Alabama game just barely hit the under, and it was at 55, I think, was that 54, 55, somewhere in there. And they combined for, I think, 51 points in the game. You saw some big numbers. In some cases, it was one-sided big numbers. You know, Marshall winning, what was it, 49 to nothing? 52. 52. 52 to nothing. Yes, they did. Army winning 42 to nothing over Middle Tennessee. Yeah, Memphis and Arkansas State combined for a bunch of points on, on Saturday night. So maybe there's something to that. Vegas tends to adjust. We'll see if they make the adjustments this year. We now have official seating capacities for season openers at 12 of the 14 SEC schools. We'll talk about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's the most liberating feeling. We've never done that before. Just muted somebody on Twitter. Oh yeah, oh, they scream into the void. It's way How better than blocking. Yeah, blocking gives them that sense that I got him. Muting, they never know. Yeah. Um. Is there like well, a the master number- list where you can see if you've muted anybody else like over time? Yeah. 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 How do you do that? It's in your it's in your settings. Let me see. Hmm. If I can find it. Here. Settings and privacy. Okay. Yeah. You, you go to your account? No. Yes. Settings and privacy and uh, content preferences. No, that's not it. Okay. Well, this is really bad radio. I can figure it out later. I yeah. just uh, yeah. It's on there, though. I promise. I believe you. I believe you. Um, was it a so certain yeah. member of academia that you... Uh, no, 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 no. No, absolutely not. From? Okay. No, not at all. No reason to mute somebody you've never followed in the first place. It's true. Uh, and who doesn't regularly show up in your timeline. All right. Seating capacities in the Southeastern Conference. We now have 12 of 14 schools, LSU being the most recent, to say here's what we're doing in terms of capacity. 
I'll tell you the two that haven't announced anything. Kentucky, which is a little surprising, and Vanderbilt, which is not even remotely surprising, even though they are in the same state with another Southeastern Conference school who announced their attendance policy a long time ago. They're just going to normal attendance. They'll be fine. Yeah, Vanderbilt's attendance policy is going to be... Unless Georgia's coming. Unless Georgia's showing up. Yeah. Vanderbilt season ticket holders only. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the jokes kind of write themselves, but, I mean, Vanderbilt could say it simply as, look, we'll allow up to 1,000 visitor fans. That'll about do it. But stadium seats 40,000. So that's so, you know thousand well, video, so about a thousand eighty one for every game. Good. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, ten thousand would be your max capacity. That would allow about nine thousand Vanderbilt fans to show up. Which what nine thousand Vanderbilt fans? What? So Same. most people think it's a foregone conclusion. By the way, that he's gone after this year. Is that true anymore? Because of. Amazing. Budget shortfalls and everything that's coming because of COVID. I mean, can't, will they move on from him, especially because of what we learned this offseason about their commitment or lack thereof financially to football? Are they really willing, after all of this, to pay a buyout? Oh, if they go 0-10 and, and they just get hammered in every game, maybe, but probably not. Uh, let's see here. This is a story from the Tennessean that was posted yesterday. No matter Vanderbilt's record in 2020, Derek Mason's job should remain safe. In 2019, February of 2019, so before last season, Vanderbilt announced that Mason, along with two other head coaches, is on the receiving end of a contract extension. The length of the extension was not divulged. There had been a previous three-year Contract extension. So you would have last year and this year would cover two of them. I mean, you can't imagine that he would have more than two or three years left on his deal. Yeah. I did like what their now previous athletic director said, though, about Derek Mason and their job. Do you remember that? He said said basically our job stinks. If we fire him, we're going to hire somebody else who's going to lose for three seasons, and then we're going to fire him And until our job gets better. It doesn't matter who's the coach. I actually liked that line of thinking. It made sense. And now, like I said a second ago, we've learned that they just really don't care about competing in football. So they're going to fire Derek Mason, hire some poor sap from the FCS or somewhere. They're going to lose a bunch of games because they're not going to invest in the product. They're going to fire that person. It's going to be an endless cycle of suck because they don't care about improving their job. (laughs) You know, the, the disappointing thing, I think, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, is that it doesn't have to be this way. It really doesn't have to be this way. There are models out there for elite academic institutions that also have very successful athletic programs. Duke, Northwestern, Stanford, all pull it off. Yes, yes. TCU is private. Yeah. Northwestern just built a beautiful football facility. Well, private, I mean, Southern Cal is private. Miami is a private university. Yeah. Yeah. But those are a little bit of an exception, those two. I mean, Miami struggles with some of the same issues that Vanderbilt struggles with in terms of attendance and fan base size and whatnot. Really, all of those private institutions do. But Vanderbilt has proven 
with their baseball program, that if you commit to success and you hire the right person and you give that person the resources they need, they can compete. I mean, it's hard to see a scenario. It's really hard to see a scenario where Vanderbilt is competing for an Eastern Division championship. But it's not at all difficult to see a scenario where Vanderbilt is consistently going to a bowl game where they win six or seven games a year. They were doing that this past decade. I understand. Yeah. Absolutely do. And that's without any kind of a commitment. If you make a commitment to the stadium. Yeah. Um, and, and, And not even, yeah, yeah, James Franklin. I mean, different deal there. Very different deal. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, you know, you make a commitment in terms of your stadium. They've already got the football facility, which is pretty nice. It's not crazy to think that Vanderbilt can be competitive. Not going to be great, but they can be competitive. Yeah. Okay. Can build a they fan can, base locally. They can schedule three non-conference games they can win, and then they can try to win two to, to four conference games in the East. I mean, it shouldn't be a, 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 a foregone conclusion that they can beat South Carolina, beat a Missouri, beat Kentucky even, and, and, and then find another, you know, no offense, but I mean, Ole Miss doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion they're going to lose that game every year. It hasn't been. It hasn't been. And then, like I said, you know, their Power 5 game, if they don't go out and schedule Michigan and Notre Dame, they can probably find a Power 5 team they can compete. They can compete. They choose not to. They, they flat out choose not to. You think I'm crazy when I say that they should just forget trying to hire a traditional coach and go gimmick? Kevin Kelly. Uh, Kev, Ken Niamatololo. Jeff Munkin, who's done a phenomenal job. Both of those guys have done phenomenal no, jobs. Where they I, are. I don't you know. Well, they I did that, they did that with that. DiNardo, though, and it didn't really work. You know, DiNardo ran that eye bone offense back in the day, and, and they tried to work that, and it didn't really work. They need to get another one. They need to pass. It worked at Georgia Tech, a place that's kind of similar to Vanderbilt, a really tough school to get in, don't exactly care about football, and they hired a triple option guy, and they consistently won, went to access bowls. They they did, but I don't think that's an attractive way to build a fan base. It is not. I mean, okay, you can say, yeah, we won, but I don't think there are that many people that want to watch triple option football on a week-in, week-out basis. Where it's just that. And and the thing about triple option football is it takes so much of the excitement out. And so, so hear me out on this. We talked about this yesterday with regard to the service academies. If you're ahead, it's really hard for the opponent to come back. But if you're behind, shut it down. You might as well head on back to the tailgate because you're not coming back. It's going to be tough. And, and that's kind of like a, like a two-score thing in either direction. You know what the defining moment of Vanderbilt is the past decade is when Franklin Franklin left. They had Malzahn. He agreed to take the job, and then they got they, things got turned around, and he ended up at Auburn. What happens if Malzahn goes to Vanderbilt just for a couple of years? Certainly builds off of Franklin's success. You would think. I would think so. And then who who knows where they are? Instead, they, it was a Robbie Caldwell, right? And then oh jeez. Is that right? That's not right. It was a great quote. But, yeah. But it was Mason. But, yeah, still, you know, it just hasn't hasn't worked. So seating capacities for everybody in the SEC that has announced a capacity resides between 20 and 25%. Alabama, Auburn, Florida, 
are all at 20%. South Carolina is at 21%. Arkansas, somewhere between 21 and 23. LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Missouri, and Tennessee are all at 25%. So not a lot of variation there. I mean, based on depending on the size of the stadium, what, Bama's a 100,000-seat stadium, so you're talking about 20,000 capacity there. Arkansas at 20% capacity in a 70,000-seat stadium. You're talking about 14,000 people. Auburn's 87,000, so you're talking about, what, 17,000. LSU's going to be about 26,000. Mississippi State's going to be right at 15,000. Ole Miss at 16,000. Texas A&M at about 25,000. Florida, 20%. Swamp seats, what, about 85? So you're at about 17,000 there. Same thing for Georgia. Uh, maybe a little bit more. Georgia will be close to 20,000 uh, in attendance. Uh, Missouri at about 15,000. Same thing for South Carolina. Tennessee will be about 24,000. So it's like everybody in the SEC is going to have Vanderbilt crowds. Sorry. In some cases, better. In some cases. One of the fascinating things to me is going to be, as the season goes along, do any of these capacity numbers increase? I think they Sports will. Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. Something pretty cool happened last night in St. Louis, Missouri. There was a Major League Baseball player who hit his first career home run and it is a name that many of you will recognize. Oh, everybody's going to recognize this. Top of the second inning, Brent Rooker getting the start in game two of the doubleheader yesterday between the Twins and the Cardinals with a runner on. It's a 390-foot home run over the left field wall. First career major league home run for Brent Rooker recently called up. Played in a handful of games. Has uh, I think he's got a hit in five straight games. Does uh, does Rooker first career home run? A feeling that can never ever ever be taken away, regardless of how his career goes. And I'm assuming, since there's nobody at the game, he was probably able to get that home run ball back. How cool is that, hey Dad? You you, you watched him hit a bunch of them in Starkville. Over the course of his career, clearly we're having connection issues, and Haydad can't hear me. Is that a safe assumption? This is kind of funny, though. Looking at him, just kind of hanging out. He he's not realizing we're back from break. Does he even know? I don't think he knows. Hello, I'm waving at him on the live stream. We'll see if he (laughs) if he perks up and realizes that there's an issue going on. What do you think he's doing right now? Playing Sudoku or something (laughs) like that. I don't know. Haydad may not be a Sudoku kind of guy. Anyway. Really cool moment for Brent Rooker, who had an incredible career that got better and better and better as it went along uh, in his time at Mississippi State, and then he's able to. He um, he, he are you it. back? <laughs> no, I didn't even. I was completely like not paying attention. There wasn't any sound though. Yes, well, uh, something happened. I was just I pointing out uh, that uh, that l- last night in St. Louis, a first happened. Former Mississippi State Bulldog Brent Rooker hit his first career home run, two-run shot over the left field wall in the second inning. Probably ended up with the baseball since nobody was in the stands, you would think. You would think. How cool a moment is that? 
I mean, it's got to be it's what every young man dreams about growing up, right? I mean, if you're a baseball kid, hitting that home run in your, your major league uh, first home run is – it's got to be up there. So, congrats to Rooker. Great player here at Mississippi State. Good guy, too. Really nice guy. And yeah, he's really fun to talk to in an interview. Yes. Super bright, insightful, interest beyond just baseball, but he is yeah. a baseball dude. Good sense of humor, too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember, it was, it was the Hattiesburg Regional, and... I guess it was the Thursday before that game, that regional began. There was so much rain that week. Yeah. When Mississippi State was playing there, and Illinois-Chicago was one of the teams, and Southern Miss was one of the teams, and I don't remember who the fourth team was. It, it'll, it doesn't matter. It'll come to me at some point. But, um, oh, South Alabama. A really good left fielder. But on the Thursday before the regional began, we get a chance to you know visit with players and coaches and whatever. And I remember just talking with Rooker, talking with Ryan Gridley. Weren't they best friends? If they weren't, they were really, really close. Boy, yeah, I, I think it was those two guys in particular we were talking to. Jake Mangum was somewhere around it as well. And just, if I remember correctly, Rooker's plan and dream was to one day coach to stay involved with the game, but he just wanted to chase it as long as he could. And now you look up just a couple of years later, I guess three years later. So three years or four now? How long has that been? Oh, uh, well, I mean, he was his last year was 17. So yeah. 18, 19, 23 years. Yeah, three years later he's in the big leagues. And it's a big league season that's unlike any other, but you can never take away a guy's first Major League Baseball home run. Wow. And that's just so very cool. Something also happened today. There's already a game that's done today in Major League Baseball. Did you guys see this final score? The um, D- Detroit and Milwaukee were playing. Game one of a doubleheader. Milwaukee pounds out 19 runs on 21 hits and beats the Detroit Tigers 19 to nothing. Oof. Missed a couple extra points, though. You know, got to sure up the kicking game. I guess it's not a doubleheader because they were only playing one game. I mean, leading leading 15 to nothing in the top of the ninth is the road team. Milwaukee was able to put four insurance runs on the board. Jeez. What a day at the plate. Three in the second, one in the third, three in the fourth, five in the sixth, three in the seventh, four in the ninth. En route to a 19 nothing win. Giants got 23 the other day. So there's been some, some big offensive games so far this year. Who did they beat when they scored 23? They were in Colorado. So, yeah. You um, you know who is terrible right now? I'm talking Red Sox. Terrible with a capital T. Red Sox. The New York Yankees are brutal right now. Sitting at 21 and 21 overall. I mean, we're talking like San Francisco Giant type record. Actually, they have a worse record than the San Francisco Giants, who are now 22 and 21. Yeah! Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Yankee fans. Jeez!
ceasefire text line as we open the 4 o'clock hour with you. You want to be part of the show, you can do so. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan. That's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Ceasefire.com. Question on the ceasefire text line. Do you think it is possible if the SEC sees things are getting better, they could potentially schedule each SEC team an extra two opponents from non-conference schools at the end of the year to finish out a 12-game season? I do not. No, nah, because I mean that you're talking about playing the SEC championship game win then at that point. Yeah. Like the nah, just, first. Nah. Hey, look, if if the SEC, whether things get better or not is able to complete a 10-game regular season schedule and play the SEC championship game. Greg Sankey may dance naked in the street somewhere. As will 14, well, Mandy may not care, 13 athletics directors. And you're dancing and celebrating a win that would normally be considered a loss. I mean, massive lost revenue all across the board. Story came out today that Arkansas is looking to take out a $19.1 million loan to cover the debt service that the athletics department is having to fund on football stadium expansion and that indoor practice facility for basketball and whatnot. Um, so how did they pay for those? I read, I read that article, and honestly... You know, my intellect is lower than the two of yours. Taking out bonds to pay for stadium expansions and stuff like that. Yeah. It, how exactly does that work? I mean, I know how it's bonds work. I'm not, but so basically it was just a loan that they took from a bunch of people. Well, no. I mean, they, they take out a loan at an institutional level, and then that loan gets sold. So the secondary market to different places, and... Bonds guarantee it. Right. So, so so bonds underwrite and guarantee the loan, but then Arkansas shows that it will be able to pay back the loan through revenue and sales and pledges and donations yeah. and all of those things, and they factor that into their budget every year, but obviously in a budget shortfall, they are looking to get, uh, I don't know, what you might call like a second mortgage on your house or, or a home equity line of credit. Yeah. So why would they do that instead of a capital campaign? I mean, I guess because you get money immediately, but especially when it was a program that already was losing money before coronavirus hit, and they are already paying at least three buyouts. So money was shrinking. They are having to pay coaches that weren't coaching anymore, multiple million dollars. Was taking out a bond loan on multiple projects, I mean, is that... Not really dumb. That's really what I was getting at with my initial question. Is uh, that that seems irresponsible, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it takes you a little bit longer, a couple more years even, to get the money to build your stadiums. But at least when you do a capital campaign, you know that you've got that money to build yeah, that facility. That, but that's not even how capital campaigns work, because the majority of donations through capital campaigns are pledges that are spread out over time, but at least over five years, over ten years, you know, planned giving, et cetera. All of those things, all of those pledges go in to 
your level of comfort to borrow the money to pay for the project over time. Right. And with, and but with at least somebody rates, owes you money instead of you owing somebody money. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's, it, it's like a cash flow circle, though. Right. But that and, seems and more money is really, than, really cheap right now. Like, historically cheap, and so it makes sense to borrow the money, go ahead and do the project while money is cheap. Construction costs only seem to go up over the course of time, and so the sooner you can do your project, the better. And if you can find really, really cheap money, like you have especially at the institutional level right now, then you borrow the money, you pay it back over time, and you hope that a global pandemic doesn't hit. Yeah. They were struggling does, before that, though. Say what? They were they were struggling before that, though. There Before COVID, there were a lot of uh, stories about Arkansas and financial problems and can't yeah, fire Chad it. Morris because there's a money issue and they're paying all these buyouts and all, all that kind of stuff was already going on before this happened. I think that ebbs and flows with a lot of schools, though. I mean, yeah. you, you rewind eight years ago and Tennessee was in terrible shape financially. And they brought Dave Hart in and he kind of righted the ship financially, you know, saved some money up, paid some stuff off. They got out of the deal where they were having to pay a bunch of different coaches off. I mean, that, that's the thing. And that's probably the thing that gets athletics directors fired more than anything else is when you have to fire multiple guys that you hired and you have to pay them a bunch of money to go away and it puts a strain on your overall budget. Yeah. And they've done um, that. Uh, ceasefire text line. This sounds like a uh, a smart thing, or a smart text. Somebody maybe a little sharper than us. It's a revenue bond. It's very common, typically issued as a tax-free investment for in-state rev- residents. That's from Mike in Madison. And he says it's uh, secured by future revenues. That wasn't this wasn't in their calculations. Of course it wasn't. Oh yeah, but because what you were budgeting for was. A baseline of, what, $50 million from the conference on an annual basis and knowing that you're going to generate X number of dollars in revenue through suite sales and ticket sales and maybe you even project for down ticket sales years, but you know they're never going to fall completely off. And sponsorship revenue related to media rights, you know, for your, your radio partner and the signage and stadiums and all of those things, those were your revenue where your revenue projections come from. And then... When you get something that hasn't happened in 102 years, like a global pandemic that derails everything and it affects the money that you get from the basketball tournament and it affects, you know, all. So, again, Borky, back to the original point I was making, what do you do? You go to the bank and you borrow $19 million cheap because with where interest rates are, money's really, really cheap. I feel like I'm learning something. Uh, this is good. So one final question, and I, I promise I'll move on. I just I feel like I'm educating myself here. Okay. Why is it that when Ole Miss built a pavilion, they did a capital campaign instead of doing something like this, which would have gotten them money faster? So wh- like, why pick one over the other? Is it just a matter of preference, or was there something more to that? I'm sorry. Ask that one more time. When Ole Miss built sure a pavilion, they did a capital yeah. campaign instead of doing this bond thing. Um, why choose oh, no, that over the too. other? It's bonded to. They did a capital campaign to get it started, and and those capital gift agreements are, are ongoing today. Okay. But then they went out and they borrowed the money to do it, again, because of the, the interest rate situation. I mean, if you were in a spot where, like, hey, Dad, you may have to help me here. It was sometime early, mid-'80s where interest rates were just ridiculous. Like if you like like a, a home mortgage interest rate 
might be, and, and if you're listening, you can you can correct me on this because I, I know have, 80s finance. Continue though. I'm sorry. Might have been in the 17 to 20 percent range. And when you're talking about on a 30-year note, you're talking just massive rates and an unbelievable increase in your, your payment. Let's just say right now that you've got a $300,000 mortgage, and it's on a 30-year note at um, 3.25%, maybe 3.5%. Say so you, so you've refinanced it, you got great credit, and you get it at three and a quarter percent or, or lower. You're looking at mortgage payments on a three hundred thousand dollar house that are probably less than two thousand dollars a month. In a scenario like you're talking about in the eighties, a three hundred thousand dollar house with a seventeen percent interest rate, you're looking at like a thirty five hundred to four thousand dollar a month payment. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Well, it started to hear so the conversation. I just feel like I've really learned something here about the nuances of how they do this. So I, I appreciate yeah. you. And I may have created more questions than answers, but it, it's it's a really fascinating discussion to me. Um, and somebody says, yeah, early 80s, you're talking about 20% mortgages. I'll pull up a more. Just, I, I'd, I'd love to be accurate, actually, on that number. Yeah. So mortgage calculator on a $300,000 house note, 3.5% good but not great credit, 30 years, that's a $1,347 a month payment. That's principal and interest. If you take that exact same loan, and let's just say you were at 18% interest, it's a $4,500 a month payment. Ceasefire text line, what is this, mad money? Richard Kramer? Start rolling up my sleeves, man. I'm start that is a function of Borky's questions, but it all spawned from Arkansas going out and getting a $19 million loan to cover its debt obligations on its facility improvements over the recent years because of where we are right now. I don't think Arkansas is the only school that's going to be doing this, though. It's my understanding that Georgia is in unbelievable financial shape. There are a couple of others that are in pretty good financial shape, and everybody else is kind of precarious going through this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us on this Wednesday. Week going by quickly. So the NCAA tournament did not get played last year thanks to COVID. And a pretty fascinating proposal came today from the Atlantic Coast Conference as a little bit of a make-good for the entire country. ACC coaches are proposing an all-inclusive NCAA tournament. The coaches just finished a conference call and voted unanimously on this. Jeff Goodman, 
reports that there would be 346 teams eligible for this tournament. There are currently 357 Division I teams. Oklahoma State is banned for infractions related to the FBI College Hoops case. Three teams are ineligible for academic reasons, and seven are currently reclassifiers. So they're making the move to the Division I level, and they're not immediately eligible for postseason. So 346 teams would be available to participate in the tournament. Let's just stop there for a second. But before we go any farther, or before we go any farther, what's your initial reaction to this? Borky, I read what you... This was Borky's (laughs) lead-in to this story on our rundown today. He wrote this. Been a lot of bad things happening in 2020. Bad weather, bad wildfires, this whole pandemic thing, bad decisions because of the pandemic, and apparently really bad ideas like 346 teams in the NCAA tournament. I did not have that reaction when I first heard this. Why do you think this is a terrible idea? Because then just start the season with the NCAA tournament. I mean, why would you even play a regular season game? But what would be the point? If you're going to have a playoff that is literally all-inclusive, then you're playing 50 exhibition games or whatever the case may be leading up to the start of that tournament. I mean, I know it's a unique year and stuff like that, but at some point making the playoff has to be rewarded on merit. Like even people complain about bowl games, there being too many bowl games, at least you have to win half of your games. You can go oh in whatever and still make the national championship tournament under this scenario. A playoff should be merit-based, not everybody gets in, pat you on the hiney, good season. And I'm not usually that guy. I like longer playoffs, but literally everybody yeah. making it. I mean, why? if you're Mike Krzyzewski, well, which I guess he supports this idea, but you're going to play one of your lottery picks in completely meaningless games? Okay. Hey, Dad, what's your reaction? I'm a little, a little in between. I definitely see Borky's side of things. I, I'm not a huge fan of, of of the participation trophy. I don't like the idea that every team in the country is going to hang a banner that says 2021 NCAA tournament. But at the same time, I would do it. Oh, I would too. But at the same time, I love an upset. I love the March Madness. You know, I, I mean, I go crazy when a 14 beats a three. What am I going to do when a 63 beats a three? I don't know. So. Hmm. Ooh, let's see. I kind of like it on the surface. No disrespect intended, but I realize that 2-23 and 23 Prairie View A&M gets in the tournament. So what? It's going to be a weird year. We're going to have fewer non-conference games. Don't know exactly what the conference seasons are going to look like. The season's going to start two weeks later than normal if things go according to plan. November 25th is what they're looking at right now instead of November 10th, the original start date. We love March Madness. If you don't like those games early, you don't have to watch. But guess what? The cream is going to rise to the top. And what if you get a story emerge where snacks... 
I mean, what, what, what if Snacks pops up into our NCAA conversation and he hits this unbelievable buzzer beater that sends Jackson State to the next round of the tournament? What if, well, what if, a, who's going to be the worst basketball team this year in the SEC? Who was it? I have last year? no Vanderbilt? idea what the answer to that is. Yeah. Who would you say? Was it Vanderbilt last year? I mean, I don't it was know Vanderbilt last year. Stackhouse is getting run in NBA open position conversations, by the way. Not to derail the conversation, but that's out there. But, but Richard's point is right. I mean, if a 58 seed, I love saying that, <laughs> makes the <laughs> Final Four, what kind of great story is that? I mean, who, who's going to get mad? At One that, million nobody. dollars says a 58 seed would not make the 68 Money. teams that were supposed to make it. Not they won't make oh, the you're final right about, 68. You're certainly right about that. But man, imagine if you just took a flyer. You know, your alma mater is the 58 seed, and they get the final four. What kind of ticket are you cashing? From a gambling perspective, this opens up a whole new. I mean, the brackets would be crazy. I can get excited about it. What's it going to add? A week to the tournament? The the people who looked at it say it would add a weekend. So instead of it lasting four weeks, it's going to last five weeks? Yes, yes. Or is it three and a half to five? Basically, I don't know how they would do it. You'd almost need to cancel the conference tournaments because there's no no point in automatic bids anymore. You might as well cancel the regular season. Well, I mean, I get what you're saying there, but... I'm just saying. I, I, on, college basketball's regular season has little value. It's already outside of bubble teams, and you're yeah. going to quadruple the number of teams that make the tournament. But this is a one-off. It's a one-off in a weird year. So let's do something weird in a weird year. But why does 21 have to be weird? 20 is the weird year. Why do because, you have to ruin 21 well, as well? 21 is going to be affected by 20 because we're not going to have some ba- like the, we don't. A lot of teams aren't playing non-conference games. That's okay. They start on January one. I hear what you're saying, Borky, but it's almost like a make good for teams that maybe had something special going and teams that, who knows, they were robbed of the opportunity to have a, a special season a year ago. And look, if you're really bad, you're going to get beat in the first round or you're going to get beat in the second round or we're not going to see you on the first weekend of the real tournament. Well, then expand it to 128. Go from 68 to 128. Basically double the field. Forget the playing games. Just do that. And at least still making the tournament requires you to play and be competent in some way. I, look, I'm, I like expanded playoffs. I'm glad the NFL added an extra wild card game because that day is going to be great. Three consecutive playoff games is going to be awesome. But at least you still have to win games more than other teams to make that expanded playoff. Major League Baseball expanding their playoffs. Hockey expanding their playoffs. The NBA did the bubble thing. I liked all of it, but at least there was some kind of Merit that required you to be better than somebody else to get in. I, it just college basketball's regular season is already kind of a farce, but at least you have games that do matter. Tell me why I should watch a single regular season college basketball game anymore. Why, when when you're ESPN and you're promoting, hey, watch Duke versus Virginia. Why I should care? Because at least Duke versus Virginia regularly has some kind of implications on seeding albeit not very much, but at least there's something on the line when those two teams play each other in the regular season. At least there's, hey, on a Tuesday night, Mississippi State's going to be playing Missouri, and if Mississippi State loses, they're on the wrong side of the bubble. 
Like that, that attracts me to that game because at least there's something on the line. Now you're, you're going, going to play, in this scenario, a regular season where every single game has no implications whatsoever. Let me let you in on a secret, though. You know what rates in college basketball? The NCAA tournament and really nothing else? Duke, Carolina, twice. That's about it. Yeah, basically. Uh, if, if Kentucky plays Kansas, the you know the, the Champions Classic at the beginning of the year where you get the combination of Kentucky and Kansas and Duke, or Duke and North Carolina or name. Michigan State in there, whoever. Yeah. That, that rates. It does. But college basketball does not generate big ratings for CBS in the regular season, for ESPN in the regular season, or for Fox in the regular season. And so what, do you, what difference does it make? College basketball is about inventory for television networks. How many games can we put on? It's about quantity as opposed to quality because of the way college basketball and then the NCAA tournament is a ratings bonanza. So I don't know that you're really diluting anything. People watch games they're interested in regardless, and they don't watch anything else. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Wednesday afternoon. Not going on. We are on the eve of the start of the NFL season. I thought I thought Heyday was going to do a happy dance in his chair. Saints don't play till Sunday, so or Monday. Yeah, I understand. No, it's Sunday afternoon. It's Sunday. That's right. Yeah, you got foosball. ESPN. Excuse me. Yesterday we looked at ESPN's NFL power rankings. They put out power rankings for college football as well. Week one power rankings. Number one. I don't. Have both of you guys looked at this? Well, no. I certainly have. Hey, I, I, I don't I, look. I looked, oh, okay. Who do you think number one is? <sighs> Give you a hint. Richard started saying it. <laughs> I was I don't ever <laughs> listen to Richard. That's that's my problem there. Um probably Clemson. Clemson is not number one. Okay. Clemson's number two, which oh. obviously process of elimination, you know that means Alabama's number one. Here's what um so here just real quick. My mind was not completely into pandemic college football because I almost said, Well, it could be Ohio State. But no, we can't. Yeah. Chris Lowe writes, by Alabama standards, it has been an eternity since the Crimson Tide won a national championship, all the way back in 2017. And yes, we're being facetious. We learned last season, though, that it is possible to have a college football playoff without the Crimson Tide. Don't look for that to become a trend. Several key players on the NFL's radar returned to school, including Devontae Smith, Alex Leatherwood, there haven't been any opt-outs. Dylan Moses is healthy at middle linebacker. Defense should be much closer to what we're used to uh, used to seeing from one of Nick Saban's defenses. To me, that's the most uh, – that's the thing that I want to see from Alabama the most. Last year was an anomaly, right? 
tons of injuries. Linebacker depth was not great. They didn't have the dominant defensive line that we've become accustomed to. They weren't terrible. They were just kind of pedestrian. And Will Alabama get back to what they have been defensively starting this year? And even with all that, if two is healthy, they beat Auburn and, and play. they go to the playoff. So. Yeah. Underrated storyline, Nick Saban's been clamoring for more conference games for a long time. What happens if it doesn't, air quotes, go well for them? They're still winning eight plus nine games maybe even, but if they go eight and two, that doesn't hurt his legacy, obviously, but I wonder if that... Uh, we'll, we'll come back to, to Biden. People will throw that in his face. You've been asking for these 10 SEC games forever, and, and once Alabama plays a real schedule, look what happens. Just like everybody I else. He, I don't think he has anything to worry about. Nope. It could be 10, be 10 or 0 and not have to worry about it. But even if he is 8 and 2, even if they go 7 and 3, Borky, I, I hate speaking in absolutes. So, so take this with a grain of salt. I'm not sure there's anything that can tarnish Nick Saban's legacy. Only scandal. Non-NCAA-related scandal. And maybe not even that. Yeah. I mean, short-term, yes. Long-term? I mean, do you think Woody Hayes is a great football coach or the guy who punched a Clemson player on the sideline? Well, I mean, he seemed to have weathered that. that storm some, but but then there's Joe Paterno. Well, that's a different deal. Yeah, well, that's my point. <laughs> you said non NCA related scandal. There you well, go. Well, I mean, I, I guess there are varying degrees of scandal as well. There are, yeah, yeah, no question. Uh, Clemson's at two in the power rankings. Obviously, this is only among teams that are eligible to play, so you don't have Ohio State. Would Ohio State have been one? No. They've been three behind Alabama and Clemson, or Clemson and Alabama yes. in some particular order? Yes. yes. They they lost a lot less than Clemson. Clemson's had to replace some dudes. But especially a wide receiver. Wide receiver. If we, yep. if we were in regular college football, their schedule would be a lot tougher than Clemson's is. So you would put Clemson ahead of them just because you think Clemson's going to be better. They have a better record. So you got Bama 1, Clemson 2, Georgia 3, Florida 4. That one's interesting. Both of those are interesting to me. Here's what Chris Lowe writes about Georgia. Biggest win of the offseason for Georgia might have been USC transfer quarterback JT Daniels getting a waiver from the NCAA. Funny how that worked. To be eligible to play right away this season, especially with Jamie Newman announcing last week he was opting out. Daniels is recovering from a torn ACL, has still yet to be cleared medically for contact. But he has plenty of game with the deep, fast, and talented Georgia squad. The dogs should be in the middle of a national championship conversation. Hold on a second. How do you write those sentences back to back? He hasn't been medically cleared to play, but man, this guy's got plenty of game, and they're going to be right in it, national championship conversation. On top of what you've seen from him, yes, he was a freshman. Guys get better after their freshman year, but the body of work that you've seen from him does not say that you've got a national championship winning caliber quarterback right now. Yeah. I mean, it It feels like, it, what if his ceiling is Jake Fromm? I mean, that that's not a great ceiling to have. He was good enough, but what if that's the ceiling? I mean, is that team good enough? No. No. Yeah. Quarterback play was not good enough last year for Georgia. They have not been good enough 
kind of in the passing game period. So so part of that was Jake Fromm, but part of that has been Georgia hasn't had they don't have a stable of wide receivers like Alabama's got. They don't have a stable no. of wide receivers like Clemson had. Or Ohio State has. They've missed out on a lot of guys. A lot of guys. You know, all those guys that, that you just mentioned that play for those teams, Georgia was after them. They just couldn't seal the deal with them. Probably, yeah. and I think it's sort of the same thing to a much, you know, smaller degree that Mississippi State has suffered from. Elite talents look and they say, well, those guys, they don't throw the ball enough. Why would I want to go there? And it's, it's you know, until you, until you run an offense or you hire a coach, in Mississippi State's case, that has the reputation of, I'm going to throw the football, wide receivers aren't going to line up to play for you. Run, now, running backs will, and they've got a stable of those. Offensive linemen will, defensive players will, but QBs and, uh, and, and receivers, no. That's why Ole Miss had them. They throw the ball. They threw the ball a lot. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if we're talking about that Georgia not being comparable at wide receiver to Ole Miss two years ago. Yeah. Notre Dame at number five. Borky, I just saw your eye twitch. You okay? They open the Duke on Saturday. Hey, (laughs) Brian Kelly's not a bad coach. He hasn't had bad teams. I just think he's severely over-appreciated. (laughs) <laughs> Oklahoma's at number six. He was careful with his word. He didn't use overrated. He used overappreciated. Oh, overrated, overappreciated, same thing. People just – and they talk about him for NFL jobs. I just don't see that. But somebody will make that leap and they'll regret it. Oklahoma at number six. Spencer Rattler has been named the starting quarterback. Not going to have C.D. Lamb, which would have been nice. I've been listening to some interviews and doing some reading, and Oklahoma is unbelievably excited about the offensive line they have. You know, they're two years removed from winning the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the best offensive line unit in the country. Did that two years ago. Their offensive line coach says it may be the best and most talented group they have ever had working together on the offensive line. So Spencer Rattler's going to have time to sit back there. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run it well. They've got a you know another stud running back. They may not have a CD Lamb, but they've got some pretty good pass catchers. And if Rattler's got time, man, his arm. Ooh. Now that said, you mentioned running back. I mean Kennedy Brooks. He opted out, and Trey Sermon went to Ohio State. Probably regretting that decision now. But so no further I'm sure they, review. I, I'm sure they have somebody. They've got a four star kid at, at, at worst. I don't know the, the the depth chart off the top of my head, but they they do have some questions back there in the backfield. Speaking of Oklahoma, the Big Twelve in Ohio State. Did you see what Bob Bowlesby said recently? I think it was Monday. In a press opportunity, he said that his medical people are telling him that we might still be dealing with coronavirus for up to two additional years in terms of football and preparing to play football games. And he was using that as his, this is why we're playing right now, because my doctors are telling me that we could be dealing with this next year and maybe even the year after. So we got to learn how to deal with it. That's why we're playing this year. I was surprised by that. LSU at number seven. 
on ESPN's power rankings of teams that are available to play this year. Look at a little bit more of this list when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thank you for being with us. So a bunch of LA, or excuse me, a bunch of SEC teams in the top 25 ESPN power rankings going into the season. Bama at one, Georgia at three, Florida at four, LSU at seven. Is LSU ranked properly? No. Jamar Chase, Tyler Shelvin opt out in the last week. Tigers shifting to a 4-3 defense under new coordinator Bo Pelini. Steve Insminger, the new offensive coordinator. Joe Brady is now in the NFL. Joe Burrow is now in the NFL. Best receiver is gone. Best running back is gone. Most of the offensive line is gone. They have 68 players, Richard. 68 scholarship players right now. No, they're going to be ranked seventh in the country. No. Yeah. And I know there's there's limited options here, but who are you more confident in going into this season right now, LSU or Texas A&M? You know more about Texas A&M, at least. I feel like it's LSU. Hey, okay. LSU or Do Texas? You really? Texas. I think Texas would beat LSU in the opening weekend yeah, I by multiple touchdowns. They're very – Texas is pretty veteran, especially at the quarterback position, the most important one. But, you know, everybody makes the joke, Texas is back. This, in a regular year, may have been that year. I don't know if they're back, but they're good enough to beat this LSU team. Yeah. Hey, again, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you think about only 68 players. They're still going to be a double-digit favorite over Mississippi State. But against anybody else in, in that's like, you know, an elite, an elite, an elite program, they, they would lose. There's no question in my mind about that. Hmm, who else? So you got LSU at seven and at number eight, Texas A&M. And at number nine, Texas. And at number ten, Auburn. If LSU and Auburn played opening weekend, who would you pick to win the game? Oh, my goodness, that's a good question. This is tough for my brand. I don't know the answer. If LSU and Auburn played opening weekend, who would you pick to win? It's a, it's a coin flip for me. I'm, I'll go and tell you right now that I have Kentucky beating Auburn week one. But I, and obviously I have LSU beating Mississippi State. But that game's a lot closer today than it was a month ago for me. Um, where's, where's the game? Where do they play each other this year? For the end. They're at Auburn. Uh, Auburn, really close game. <clears throat> you trust Bo Nix? You trust everything that Auburn is replacing? I would trust I mean, Bo Nix over a guy making his first start. I mean, Bo Nix is a whole season under his belt. He did get better as the year went on. That's an old cliche, but he was a freshman quarterback, and as the year went on, he stopped looking so much like one. I mean, I like Nick's better than Brennan. I'll put it that way. You think? Yeah. You, you as, as, my, as we as we sit here on nine September, yeah, two and a half weeks before games. I you know I have my my little three prong thing I like to do. 
when I'm picking a game I'm not sure about. Who's the better coach? Who's the better quarterback? Where's the game being played? Two of the three for me are are in Auburn's favor. I like Orgeron a little bit better than Malzahn. Let me ask you this. If Borky had asked you that question a year ago, who do you like better, Bo Nix or Joe Burrow, before the season began, how would you have answered that question? I, I would have said Burrow because he had the experience. Okay. So Texas was the first Big Ten. Uh, no, that's not right. Oklahoma was the first Big Ten to pop up at number six. Texas at number nine. Then you get Oklahoma State at number 11. And then we get to start one of those fun. years where Mike Gundy seems really good. Could be. You got a great running back and a great lead dog at receiver in Tylen Wallace. And they're a good team. But I mean, are they going to beat Texas and Oklahoma? I don't know. Cincinnati at number 12. Here's That's another. Now, now we're getting weird. Here's another question. Probably not as good as the first one, but if Cincinnati runs the table this year, would they deserve a chance to play in the college football playoff? Because unless something crazy happens, I highly doubt you are going to have four undefeated Power Three teams. <clears throat> and that's impossible. So should an undefeated Cincinnati get in over a one or two loss anybody else? That means they would have at least one win over Memphis. Win over UCF. Yeah. Houston, USF. Who am I not thinking of in the American? Tulane. They've been better. No, they shouldn't. I mean, an undefeated... I mean, I, I'm sorry, an undefeated Cincinnati is not a better football team than a, a one-loss... Georgia, or a one-loss Florida, or a one-loss Texas or Oklahoma. They're just not. They're good. They're not better than them. First off, Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thank you for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Weekend gets here quickly. So does NFL football. Game one tomorrow night. Houston Texans in Kansas City to take on the Chiefs, the reigning champs in the season opener. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to be a part of the conversation. At Ceasefire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device that you want? Other carriers make you sit tight until the next big devices come out, and then maybe they'll give you a deal on the iPhone that you want. You know it. Seaspire knows it. That's bull. That's why they're bringing you the best deal on your choice of iPhone today. Whether you're upgrading, adding a new line, or switching from another carrier, this is the deal you've been holding out for. Right now, you can get any iPhone $100 off. Say it again. One hundred off at your local Seaspire store and online at cspire.com. Time right now for the College Football Fix.
College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Guess what month it is? Truck month! Your chance to get into an F-Series, Super Duty, or maybe a Ranger. F-150, best-selling truck in America, 43 straight years. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Earlier today, Jeremy McLean was on the Eagle Hour with Luke Johnson and with uh, Bob Getty. And there's some interesting things that he said. We're going to use this to dovetail with the story today for the College Football Fix. I'll tell you a couple of things unrelated to the College Football Fix. Jeremy McLean told Luke and Bob that the resignation of Jay Lad of uh, not Jay Ladner, excuse me, of Jay Hobson, wrong Jay, same school, wrong Jay. Jay Hobson had nothing to do with the game on Thursday. Jay initiated the conversation that led to the mutual decision. And this is not something that was on Jeremy McLean's radar prior to Thursday or even immediately after the game on Thursday night. In terms of finding a permanent head coach, Jeremy McLean says that they are beginning the search process and working daily to pull information on potential candidates. But he will not begin conversations with anyone until much later in the season. He does not want student-athletes to have to hear any leaked information. He wants them to concentrate on the season. He said one other thing, but I'll press pause just for a second to make this uh, make a little more sense. Baylor and Louisiana Tech were scheduled to play this weekend. This Saturday in Waco. The game has been postponed indefinitely, according to the schools, making a joint announcement yesterday after Louisiana Tech had 38 players test positive after Hurricane Laura hit Louisiana late last month. That prompted many players to move out of Ruston for more than a week, which caused problems with contact tracing. Louisiana Tech Athletic Director Tommy McClellan said this, It's obvious that the impact of Hurricane Laura in our community a few weeks ago really sparked our significant increase in numbers with 95% of our city losing power for days, even up to a week in many areas, our student-athletes were forced to find places to stay, and some even had family from South Louisiana that came north to stay with them. So many things that we were able to control for the month of August became out of our control, and I think the numbers proved that it took its toll. The days leading up to this outbreak, we had a stretch of three weeks with only one positive case, so the protocols we had in place were working prior to Hurricane Laura. Baylor Athletics Director Mac Rhodes said, in the interest of health and wellness of our student-athletes, coaches, and staff, we're confident in this unfortunate but necessary course of action. To the Baylor and Louisiana Tech student-athletes and communities, we share in your disappointment and look ahead to resuming play. That is significant because now the next scheduled game for Louisiana Tech is on September 19th against... Southern Mississippi. Back to the Eagle Hour earlier today where Jeremy McLean said he had talked to officials from Louisiana Tech this morning and they are confident about playing the September 19th game even with the announcement of the postponement of the game with Baylor this coming weekend. A lot there. It was obviously the right decision to postpone the game with Baylor. 
what a what a just a, a bunch of bad luck for Louisiana Tech. Yeah, it's um, it's really unfortunate. I, I do think, not to be insensitive to the situation, I do think it kind of proves what we've been talking about it, the the idea that players, even though they are not in a bubble on their college campus, being uh, involved in daily testing or tried weekly testing and having protocols and being monitored and stuff like that. It works. It works. And then when you remove a whole bunch of people from that or you bring a whole bunch of people who have not been part of the same protocols and you insert them into that group, you have exactly what happened. And look, I mean, there is no fault that I can see. I mean, something may have happened that we aren't aware of, but there's no fault that I can see that should be laid at the feet of Louisiana Tech or its players. No. 95% of Rustin without power, some for as much as a week. Families making the trip north to find somewhere where they can put their head on a pillow at night. Students without power going home for a few days. You, you just took everybody that had been in a very controlled environment, not a bubble, but a controlled environment, and they scattered like a busted anthill. And then they came all back together. And you get 38 positives. Is the timeline to play on the 19th too aggressive? Talking about 10 days from today. They canceled the game yesterday. That's 11. You go to when all these positives hit, you're talking about, what, three, four days prior? couple of days prior to 12, 13. I mean, 14 is generally your quarantine time. You know all the players who tested positive will have to have multiple negative tests before they can be cleared to return. And you're talking about no football activity for two weeks for 38 players. I don't see how that gets done. No. Pretty tall ask. Now... With the requirements that the NCAA's got in place, they should be able to do it. Number I mean, hey, yeah, we were playing with the numbers yesterday, right? I mean, 44 Tennessee yeah. players out. They got 100 guys on the roster. You could have still played. Yeah. Is that right? That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Or 110 on the roster, maybe you still could have played. Because yeah, 100, 100 would be 56, and it was 53 for the Big 12. Okay. Yeah. And not, I'm sure you guys talked about it, not all 44 were COVID-related. So right. there, there were some yes, guys that yeah, were precautionarily right. held out of practice, so they could have gotten it done. This, this seems tough, though, and, and just another reason why you should be able to test out of quarantine. Uh, that still doesn't make any sense. And now the quarantine period, if I remember correctly, has been reduced from 14 to 10 days. I think college football should adjust accordingly as well, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. I didn't. I don't know if I realized that it had been moved from 14 to 10, according to the CDC. Yeah, I'll double check just to make sure I'm not spreading anything wrong. But I, I thought I saw that. Numbers in Mississippi have been outstanding the last couple of days. I don't know. Did I look at today's numbers? Ooh, big spike today, especially in terms of deaths. Huh. You had gone consecutive days in which you had a combined one death. You had one that was reported as of September 7th. 
I have these dates maybe off. Maybe that's September 6th, and then it was zero on September 7th. But then 39 new deaths on September 8th? Gracious. That is not what I expected to see when I pulled those numbers up. CBS 42, which I believe is Birmingham. Yes, Birmingham, uh, according to them in the Google search. The CDC uh, changed okay. the isolation day to 10 days from 14. Yeah, that makes sense. I just somehow had missed that. I, I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't forget, it's truck month. Great savings on the full lineup. Built Ford Tough Trucks. We will be back. Great to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Ceasefire text line wide open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Look, I wasn't making any inferences necessarily when I read those updated State Department of Health numbers just a second ago. I was just was surprised after seeing one and zero on consecutive days to see the number as high as it was today. Some of your responses, many testing sites don't report COVID numbers over the weekend, hence the spike the first of every week. No, I, I understand that, but you... To make those numbers make sense, you compare them to what they were a week previously. The death numbers were much lower a week previously, the last two days, than, I didn't say that right. The last two days, the numbers were much lower than they were a week previous, and that stood out to me. Today, there was a big spike in the numbers that were reported. I understand that the deaths are reported from prior days. Somebody said some of those deaths were from July. No, I'm not discounting any of that, no, none of it. None of it. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, compared to a week ago, what was it, 30, what did I say, Borky, 39? I think that was the number that was reported today. Let's see. I don't want to be inaccurate. Yeah, 39 was the new death total that was reported today. That's on September 8th, so if you rewind to September 1st, the number was 33. Okay, so slightly higher. Not significantly higher, but slightly higher. It's six people that passed away, and that's significant. But in comparison, if you go to the days before that, August 31st, there were 32. Well, there were zero in the seven days prior. 14th on the 29th, seven days later, you had one. So I think overall the numbers continue to be positive. You're going to see spikes, especially community spikes, in Hattiesburg, in Oxford, in Jackson, in Starkville, possibly in Columbus, where the W is. Perhaps in you know, other, other places where we've got schools that are back in session. Yeah, you're obviously going to see numbers go up. It's just going to happen. You inject thousands of people into an ecosystem that did not have those thousands of people in there previously, and they're milling about and moving about and interacting and whatnot. Yeah, numbers are going to go up. They are. I'm sure you've seen the graphic floating around that pointed at, you know, they took a sample of 29 colleges and showed 20-something thousand positive cases over the last couple of weeks with zero hospitalizations. Not zero deaths. Not zero cases of ventilator usage. Zero hospitalizations. 
It's kind of a big deal. So, uh, anything? David in uh, Socher suggests that Louisiana Tech should send in Bobby Boucher. Call him up to the squad. Um, NBA. Team got sent home. You got two games tonight. Raptors, Celtics. Boston leading that series three games to two. Celtics could close it out. Raptors trying to force a game seven. And the Clippers lead the Nuggets two games to one. Both games tonight, ESPN. Raptors-Celtics get started in about 20 minutes. Clippers-Nuggets is at 8 tonight. If you rewind to yesterday's action, the Heat eliminate the Bucks, who are without Giannis, 103-94. What did you take away from that series that Miami won 4-1? Uh, Eric Spolstra does not get near enough credit for being the quality coach that he is because He's people okay. just assume it, it, it was because of LeBron and, and Wade and Bosh, but in reality... He's a really good basketball coach, and Jimmy Butler is probably the most underrated player in the league, even though he's very famous. People just don't give him enough credit for being a bona fide superstar. I agree with everything Borky just said. Spolster is a really, really good coach, and Butler is very, very underrated. Eric Spolstra became the head coach of the Miami Heat in 2008. He was an assistant from 97 to 2008 for Pat Riley. He was Pat Riley's hand-picked chosen successor. And you remember when he first got the job, people thought that he was like a puppet for Pat Riley? Yeah. He is anything but. And I think has the respect of pretty much everybody in the, in the NBA. What, this is, makes this, what, 13th season? Two-time NBA yeah. champion as a head coach? But, again, to Borky's point, gets no credit for that, right? Because it was just it was LeBron and Bosh and Wade. Somebody had to keep those three egos in check and figure out a way to get them to play together. And they've been... The thing is, he's been able to navigate his way through... The, the like the monster trio when they were you know hottest ticket in the NBA through a downward cycle a little bit of a rebuild and all of a sudden Miami's really good again yeah it took a while to, to manage and rebuild that roster and good on them for being patient uh, Miami now might be the favorite in the East even though I still think it's I, I love Toronto still even going through injuries and being down two to nothing in that series I still love Toronto. But, I mean, Miami's – there's no elite team right now. I know what the Lakers did last night to Houston, and that was impressive, but they have flaws. Everybody left has flaws, and I think everybody left, for the most part, can win the championship. This is as – and before bubble, we thought it was three teams. It was L.A., L.A., Milwaukee. Now, I think it's everybody left. They all have flaws. They all have upsides. I don't think there's one elite team in the bunch. Who wins it all? I hate that. I know your answer. 
They are you are certain? Have... Yes. No, I meant Borky. Are you as certain as Haydad that the Lakers are going to win? No, not at all. I, I think, especially now, you have seen a, a serious flaw with the Lakers is LeBron and, and Davis don't have much help. And that's been a talking point all season long, and people just assume having those two guys will win you games. And, yeah, it's kind of working, and LeBron has just been absolutely special at his age. It's you're, unbelievable. You're, forget, you're forgetting who has showed up. Yeah, Playoff Rondo, Rondo yeah. has arrived. He has logged in. He was tremendous last night. Was tremendous Which is kind of the reason he's on the team, right? Yeah, this is right. why. But so for, for, for right I now. saw enough of this on the other side when he was with the Celtics, so. But when they run into the Clippers, the same thing with P.J. Tucker. The Clippers are going to have people that will bully Anthony Davis, and he absolutely hates playing physical basketball. He hates it. You can tell. You can see it on his face that when he's deed up on somebody that is physical with him, you can see it that he can't stand it. It's not his game. and so. But when he engages, he's not terrible. I mean, he, he can do it. He just hates doing it. Right, it, which is crazy to me because when he is locked in, it's crazy that he has to be pushed into that because when he's in it, he can't be stopped. He He's long and he's athletic and he can do it. He just, for some reason, wants to play this take, step back, 25-footers outside game. I don't know why. I guess it's prettier, but that's not going to win you a championship. Let me ask you this because you guys certainly follow it and have followed it far closer than I. But... From from a bit of a distance, Heat Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals looks like it could be a spectacular series. Is that do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, hundred percent. I'd be shocked if it doesn't go to seven. You think it's just back and forth, back and forth? Oh yeah. Who do you like? Boston's got to get past uh, get past Toronto first. Yeah, that's true. I understand. I would, I would like the Celtics in that. I think Lakers Celtics final. You know, you know, ABC would be the love in that. Jason Tatum versus Jimmy Butler will be spectacular. Tatum is who I wanted in New Orleans. That's who I wanted them to send Anthony Davis to. Was to go get Jason Tatum. I think he is, and a lot of people know who he is already, of course. But he's the next superstar type player in the NBA. I mean, physically, he can do it all. So, new Jason Tatum against kind of the well-known Jimmy Butler, who's... That guy grinds every single night. People talk about effort in the NBA and how it's not good. You don't have to worry about that with Jimmy Butler. Got something I want to share with you when we come back. And a bit of a favor to ask, especially... If you're a Southern Miss fan, but not exclusively if you're a Southern Miss fan, if you're a college baseball fan, or if you're just a fan of doing something nice for someone, something to share with you when we come back. It's coming up in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad will be right back. We'll visit Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports tomorrow afternoon. We'll have a full breakdown of game number one of the NFL season with the Texans and the Chiefs. Kansas City a nine-point favorite. Total in that game, 54 and a half. 
I made you pick it right now. Chiefs minus nine. Would you take the Chiefs or take the Texans and the points? Texans plus the nine and the over. Where's the game? Kansas City? It's in Kansas City. You mean, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. I don't know. <laughs> 70 decibels worth of fake fans. I got I got to get used to that. That's something I, you know, I would normally ask. Um, I would I would take the Chiefs, though. Okay. You'd lay down the seven. You already said you would lay the seven. I thought it was nine. So, Borky, you think the o- – so you, you think both teams put some points on the boards. Yeah, I'm following Warren Sharp's advice here. Uh, I, I read his preview magazine, which is basically like a Harry Potter novel. And he's loving the overs uh, in these early games, so I'm going to follow a guy that does that much research. And nine is just such a big line. With a reigning Super Bowl champion, like I said earlier in the show, after COVID, uh, I'll take those nine additional points for a season opener without preseason games or anything like that. Yeah. The only concern for me is what the Texans' offense is going to look like. Without DeAndre Hopkins. You've got Deshaun Watson and the area high school all-stars on that team. I mean, Will Fuller, right, is the guy that they need to stay healthy and be a stud. We talked about that yesterday. That was in the, the kind of hot seat conversation in the NFL power rankings as it pertains to the uh, to the Texans. What about Kansas City's defense? Should be pretty good. It's pretty pretty darn good. good. I think it'll be good again. Yeah. Interested to see if uh, Willie Gabe can make a big impression as a rookie. Yeah. Do you go to, I mean, defensive line is kind of the, that's where you start with them, right? Yeah, you start with Chris Jones, yeah. Absolutely. Like right in the middle of it. Interesting stuff. What are the what are the other games? So in the in the list of NFL games this weekend, Seahawks, Falcons, Jets, Bills, Bears, Lions, Packers, Vikings. It's a pretty good one. What are the games that you're most interested in this weekend? It's not even a homer pick. It's the game of the weekend. It's Saints Bucks. Mike Evans might not play. The, the said he was day to day today. Yeah, I hope he. Which we uh, all are, but still, hope he feels really good and healthy on <laughs> Monday morning. Yeah, Monday. Uh, Colts Jags really isn't doing it for you? <laughs> no. Although Phillip Rivers might actually have protection for the first time in a decade. So, Do the Arizona Cardinals take a step forward this year? They record-wise weren't good last year. The division they were kind of fun, though, weren't they? They were fun, and Cliff Kingsbury's transition into the NFL, a lot of people, myself included, were questioning whether or not that would translate, and it looked good with a rookie quarterback. They, and they have to rebuild everything there, basically, with the exception of Larry Fitzgerald, who, um, I mean, is going to be collecting retirement soon. I mean, he probably takes the field with a walker. Uh, you know, got a bad hip. He's going to be doing life alert commercials here soon. But aside from that, it's a heck of a golfer. A, a roster they're going to have to completely retool, and he's had to. And they were competitive and fun last year. The division is so tough, though. I mean, you did the power rankings yesterday, and what, the 49ers were third and the Seahawks were fifth? 
the Rams are still good when they're handing out $100 million contracts to cornerbacks. I mean, that's a that's a good division. It's, I mean, it's, if they go two and four, I mean, they, they're, they're doing something. Text of the day, ceasefire text line. Philip Rivers has never run real big on protection. <laughs> All right, Cowboys Rams coming up this weekend. <laughs> Cowboys, I, I'm not doing any explanation. We're moving right along. I just thought you'd get a kick out of that. Uh, Cowboys Rams, huge year for Dak and the Cowboys. Last year, the Rams go nine and seven. But two years ago, the Rams were thirteen and three. And played in the Super Bowl. Right? They did play in the Super Bowl, didn't they? Two years ago? They did, yeah, and they scored three points against the Patriots. Yeah. Um Bounce back here for the Los Angeles Rams? But, again, I don't know what bounce back is because they have the Seahawks in the four. They Are, are both wild cards going to come out of the uh, the NFC West? You know, you still got Tampa Bay to consider. You know, I mean, you got the Eagles. I mean, I, I just I mean, you think know. about the jump that the Niners made last year. From 4-12 two years ago to where they finished last season. And I said yesterday, I feel like they're they're due a step back. Like it always feels like teams go four and twelve, then they go nine and seven, and then they have the big year. And the 49ers skipped that, so maybe they're going to step back to the nine and seven this year. I don't know. It's a very good roster. Yeah. When it, when it comes to Dallas, LA, I mean, I, we're about to find out how much Mike McCarthy trusts his new quarterback, right? I mean, they, he usually likes to open it up. He had Aaron Rodgers for so long. And I don't think anybody would argue that Aaron Rodgers uh, is a more capable downfield passer uh, than Dak Prescott. Not the athlete, although he's sneaky athletic. But um, how much does Dak's new coach trust his ability to make the same throws and run the same offense that Aaron Rodgers did? And he's got the arm to make the throws. Agreed? Yeah. Or does not have the arm of Aaron Rodgers? Rodgers is special. He is. That's not a knock on Dak. I mean, people are going to take it that way, but Rodgers is just, he's special. Uh, Okay. So in terms of athleticism and ability to make plays with his feet, Dak Prescott, you would take over Aaron Rodgers. But... As immobile as he sometimes look looks, Aaron Rodgers' feet are good. And he's able to, you know, he takes some shots, but he's also to, able to make subtle moves in the pocket and, and buy himself a little bit of time. Does that, does that even the scales at all? The athleticism of Dak Prescott and his ability to move around and make some plays with his feet, does that balance the scales of maybe not quite as much arm talent as Aaron Rodgers? He's got better weapons, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. A lot. And a running In the backfield, at receiver. But again, I'm getting back to this Dallas-L.A. game. 
And I know, Borky, that's kind of where you started with, okay, is Dak able to do in Mike McCarthy's offense what Aaron Rodgers was able to do and at times wasn't able to do? There is continuity at the offensive coordinator spot. Kellen Moore still the offensive coordinator with Dallas. And, and Dak has talked about that was important in the transition, that it wasn't everything new. Dallas and the Chargers, though, week one. That's a fun matchup to me. And uh, opening the brand new $9 billion stadium with nobody inside. So, just uh, throwing that out there. But, yeah, no, it's fascinating because, as we've talked about many times, but it's one of the stories going into this season nationally is Dak Prescott's contract. And every game yeah. matters for him. Like every a referendum every week. Yeah. Not exactly fair in a league like this, but that's that's what it is. How about Raiders Panthers? I mean, I know that's not really sexy on paper, but Las Vegas, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, got to go across the country, west to east. They're a three-point favorite. Only a three. Excuse me, only a three-point favorite. I mean, in terms of power rankings, Carolina's at the bottom of the league. Very bottom. Yeah. But now, now we're going to see what Teddy Bridgewater really is. Because as great as Drew Brees is, and he's great, and he's been great, it's pretty easy to play quarterback with the Saints right now. It is not the most difficult job in the league. So Bridgewater steps in and goes 5-0, and and he did some very good things. But it's easy when you've got one of the best play callers in the league, you've got one of the more dynamic running backs in the league, and you've got the best wide receiver in the league behind a very good offensive line and a defense that doesn't give up much. I mean, they beat the Cowboys 12-9 to with Teddy Bridgewater playing quarterback. It's easy to play quarterback for that team. Now we're about to see how really back he is from that gruesome injury years ago. Yeah. Because this You're is right. a very different team that he's playing quarterback for. A little bit tougher to win. And so... I'm excited to see him and what he's able to do because we didn't really get to see it much with New Orleans. Not really. Broncos-Titans on Monday night. That's the late game. Broncos invested a lot on the offensive side. They've been so good defensively, but a huge blow yesterday to the Broncos. They are going to be without Von Miller likely for the entire season. We'll wrap it up. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.